In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, that's LLS, will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. So step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps, inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony, and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. So join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike tried his coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Jason Stark <laughs> is against humanity. Take away the human elements of Starkville. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Your readings, and welcome to Starkville. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic. As always, I am joined by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, and distinguished former major leaguer Doug Glanville. And Doug, this week we'll be visited by not just a managerial legend, but a manager who once told a player named Doug Glanville, dude, cut your hair. <laughs> I'm talking, of course, about Johnny B. Dusty Baker. Doug, you're definitely going to ask Dusty to tell that hair story, right? Oh, absolutely. I've been I've been thinking about this for a good 15 to 17 years. So, yeah, I want to hear more about it. <laughs> <laughs> We're all going to be forced to hear more about it, but I can't wait. I really can't. Uh, all right, before we talk to Dusty about the return of baseball and uh, his role in inventing the now endangered high five, <laughs> and whether the Astros are no longer America's favorite villains. I understand that we have a wildlife update from the Glanville household. Doug, what's happening? Yeah, well, as you know, I you know as a you know a good fortune, I, I go to a kind of a cottage set up by the shoreline, and uh, it's been a minute, so I look up at the outdoor light, and an entire robin family is there. And I say, well, I don't want to really mess with the robins because they've kind of taken over. And now I see there's officially eggs in the nest. So here we are. Um, the robins are now renters. And I figured I, I won't <laughs> charge them anything. And, uh, and according to this book I'm reading to my daughter a lot at night, the Apple Pie book, uh, apparently it goes hand in hand with apple uh, in terms of the blooming and sequencing of, of uh, how to make apple pie between start to finish. So I'm hoping at least the very least I can get something out of it, like you know some cinnamon coated apple pie. So in the meantime, I'm just tipping my cap to the Robbins family, and I'm just giving them a shout out officially on Starkville. Now, see if Robin Ventura were still managing, I would be uh, 
Calling up Vegas. Yes, we need to do. <laughs> and right, and we would we would totally be betting on any Robin Ventura team. But or I don't Batman. know what the symbolism is. Otherwise, it could be Batman. My brother loves Batman, so that I'm. Um, I haven't seen any Cape oh, Crusaders cool. anywhere around. But I guess yeah. it's not Superman. I guess Superman's Cape Crusaders. So. I don't know something like that. But uh, yeah, a no, lot of Batman out there. This is true. We are in the right place for that. <laughs> Uh, before we bring in Dusty, I just wanted to say a word about a couple of my favorite causes. Uh, one is local news. As I've mentioned before, I'm now subscribing to 10 local papers from coast to coast. Uh, you know, according to the Pointer Institute, Doug, times are so tough in the local news business that 25 newspapers have stopped publishing during this pandemic. Uh, I've got a half dozen friends who've lost their jobs in the last two months. So I just like to remind people that local news plays such an important role in our communities at times like this. So please, if you can, subscribe to some source of local news in your town. Also, the Starks donated again this past week to World Central Kitchen to support the great work that Chef Jose Andres is doing to help feed the hungry and also the frontline medical workers. We had Sean Doolittle here a few weeks ago, spoke so eloquently about World Central Kitchen. Such a great cause uh, and and actually a truly important cause in these difficult times for so many people. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, every time I look at that, I just get uh, greater admiration. And and Sean Doolittle never steers you wrong, so... Uh, just his support alone is enough of an endorsement, and uh, and their great work. And you know, we continue with our with our mass. My wife is you know amazing. She she can sew anything, and and uh, she continues to kind of fill the void whenever someone calls and says, "Hey, I could use a mask." Or she just she just whips out the sewing machine, and she can pull fabric from you know baby comforters to you know, my old T-shirts from Double A or what. I mean, it's amazing. So um, yeah, so we're you know we're grateful. And um, and you know and, and we're recording this on Memorial Day, so you know just uh, you know just the recognition of the men and women who've served and continue to serve. It just especially given where we are now, it just raises the bar for even a greater appreciation for that service. And we and we must remember. And uh, so I just want to think of that today. No doubt, um, that act of service is something that will never go out of style and uh, we appreciate it here at Starkville more than ever. So thanks to all who serve and who have served. Doug, we are so honored this week to welcome the manager, the Houston Astros, Dusty Baker to Starkville. Now we're recording this on Memorial Day. So Dusty, we cannot thank you enough for taking time out of your holiday to visit us how are you, and how have you been spending your time since the day the baseball well, world stopped spinning? Well, you know, like I haven't started my holiday yet because it's, it's ten o'clock out here. But it's supposed <laughs> to get up to like supposed to get up to like ninety five today. So I'm gonna spend my Ooh. holiday, yeah, barbecuing. And I got some salmon that I caught last year, and uh, ask them, and I'm going swimming. Me and my son, wow, we'll probably hit in the cage because I've been doing a lot of uh, I've been working out a lot. I got a nice weight room, and then. Fortunate enough, I have a, a, a batting cage with the arm machine that, that my son hits on daily, and he's preparing, you know, you know, for the draft, and hopefully he'll go in the first five rounds. So that's what we're, that's what we're doing. You know, that's how we're preparing. 
Well, that's that's great. It's given both of you some some focus yeah. at a really tough time. I know, but you know, on the baseball side, uh, uh, side, Jason, you know, we're having a Zoom calls with the with the Astros, with the coaches, you know, going over different uh, uh, strategies and stats, and also a bunch of Zoom calls with uh, you know with the commissioner's office. The managers are meeting almost right. you know every Friday, and uh, we're trying to help out and, and see if we can get this whole thing uh, settled back to work. Yeah, are you are you guys starting to gear up now to play? Uh, we could well, be only a couple weeks away from spring training. It could be. I mean, you know, something is easier, I think, to gear up than it is just all of a sudden, you know, turn it on. And, and you know, you can turn it off. I think easier than you can turn it on. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, you know, there's a few issues uh, yet to be settled, uh, but you know, you got to start, uh, uh, you know, preparation, and uh, you know, uh, you know, hopeful and and willful preparation. Uh, you know, everybody's working at, at, at trying to get this thing settled. I'm just hoping that, that all, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of barriers, but you know how, how these things go. A lot of times it goes <laughs> until the last hour before it's like, Hey boys, put them on. And, uh, you know, I think we'll all be happy. You and I have both been through a lot of labor talks, so we know oh, how yeah. this goes is right. <laughs> yeah. You know, Dusty, one of my favorite things about you is that you're a guy with uh, with so many layers and you have so much perspective. We could really use some of that perspective right now. Uh, we know mm. baseball will look different when it returns, if it returns. But how do you think it will feel different for you, for the guys who play it, and for the people who watch it? Well, you know um, – Maybe the thing that's going to feel different, I think, is 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 a lack of energy, uh, you know, from the fans. You know, that's the thing you're talking about without fans. I mean, you still got to do what you got to do to, you know, to play. But, you know, you can be in a room, uh, you know, not watching a ball game and you can listen, you know, just listening to it. And you can tell when something exciting happens in a game because the crowd lets you know, you know, like I know when I'm when I'm hit with my son, I tell him, don't follow the ball where it goes let the crowd tell you where it's going <laughs> or, or you know i mean people will let you know and 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 you, and you miss that background noise and that's what they're gonna i don't know if they're gonna pipe in uh uh, uh noise you know you know to, to you know create some excitement or what i mean i think that's what's going to be different and the fact that now uh you know when you get back to ball it's going to be a sprint you know like uh you know, when Doug and I were playing, we always would tell the guys or guys would tell each other, hey, man, this is a marathon, not a sprint. Well, I mean, this is <laughs> this is this is going to be a sprint, and, and, you know, which is going to be different. It's not going to be uh, – uh, uh, it's going to be who who gets out the quickest, you know, who sustains that, uh, um, um, you know, the quickest and the longest. You know, usually if you get behind, you know, you can slow walk some uh, – a team and, and you got a hundred uh, games to catch up or, you know, like uh, this team always runs out of gas or a player runs out of gas uh, in game number 120. But, it, you know, I mean, that's what's going to be different, I think, is, is the fact that it's a sprint now versus a, versus a marathon if we get back, if and when we get back. Yeah, that team that won the World Series last year started nineteen and thirty-one. So don't do that. Yeah, no, <laughs> right. No, no, no. <laughs> exactly. You don't have a chance. No, you man. Know what I mean? So I mean that's going to be the difference I think, and and you know who stays in shape, you know who doesn't you know who doesn't get injured. I mean right now, I mean you might have a bunch of soft tissue, uh, uh, you know type injuries, you know pulled pulled hammies and quads or or or, or you know biceps and, and and just different things because all of a sudden 
you know, you do need certain amount of training in, in spring training uh, because no matter how hard you work, and Doug can probably attest to this, no matter how hard you work in the offseason, there's nothing like, you know, the, the energy that you exert, you know, during competition. You know, I mean, you can go out and sprint all you want to, but as soon as you smell that hit in the <laughs> hole in there, then you got to turn on the afterburner if you're if you're fortunate enough to have an afterburner, and then the thing, you know, uh, you know, you got an injury, so uh, you know that's going to be that's going to be something that you know we're going to have to deal with. Yeah, and Dusty, I mean, how you know that type of messaging and that type of insight? Uh, how are you communicating it to your players in terms of all these different things to think of? It's like you know you have a Justin Verlander, for example. You're saying. Hey, all right, don't expect to go eight. Okay, you're not, you know, you're going to go four and we're going to need. So what are you communicating to the players, you know, strategically well, about that? That's a good question. But in the, in, in the case of Justin Verlander, you know, like he, he was having some groin problems and a little shoulder problems in spring training. So this is actually, and he got, he had an operation on his groin. So this has actually been, I was trying to figure out what, you know, what life is going to be without Verlander for half the season, you know, how I was going to replace his quality and, and his, and his, and his innings. And then, uh, you know, you just lost their other big ace and I was trying to figure out, you know, how we're going to do this, but it looks like, you know, this has helped Justin, you know, look like he might, you know, if we come back and start, I mean, he might be ready to start. So, uh, the thing that I've tried to do, uh, you know, that I've noticed and I learned this from Ken Griffey senior, uh, with Ken Griffey jr. He said he would call, junior and junior wouldn't pick up or never call him back but he said he he texts him and then in 30 seconds he he texts him right back <laughs> <laughs> and so i learned that same thing with my son here <laughs> and so you know uh I, i've been texting the players you know i try not to you know like over text them you know i text them every couple of weeks you know because you know uh, it, it's more on an honor system you know than anything if a guy's been working out uh i told him you know, what I went through during strikes, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be able to relate some some personal stories to them. Like my first year, uh, 1972, I was a rookie and I and Hank used to tell me to come work out and I didn't work out. I didn't do nothing. And then and then next thing you know, they said, put them on. We start in San Diego. Uh, Cepeda gets hurt in the first inning. They told me, grab a glove. I thought I was the last guy on the team <laughs> and uh, go to center field. I got hit my first time up. And then I went uh, 0 for 20 with 15 strikeouts after that. <laughs> oh, man. And, and I'm telling you. And so Hank told me, he says, hey, man, I said, what do I do? I'm panicked now. He's like, hey, you go to the cage and hit every day till your hands bleed. And, and, and I end up getting a start in Houston. I think I went four for five. Next day I went one for two or three. And then the next day I got some more hits. And then they traded Rico Cardi on the fourth day. And I, I played every day since. And then I ended up like fourth in the league and no third in the league and hitting. And I was trying to do like Al Kaline to lead the league in my rookie year. And I come in third. And so I told those guys, if I hadn't, you know, if I had worked out like Hank had told me to, then I might've won the betting title. Then I also told him in 1981, you know, we're out 50 games. And uh, I learned my lesson from 72. So I worked out every day. Uh, it looked like we weren't going to come back to play. Uh, you know, uh, we were working out the first couple weeks, guys at USC, and then nobody. Uh, then after a couple more weeks, there was nobody there. So I worked out with my nephew every day. He was like 12 years old. We played wiffle ball, went to the batting cage, swam, ran, 
And then uh, when we did resume play after the uh, All-Star game in Cleveland, um, I had the highest batting average in the, in the league because I worked out and played wiffle ball. And uh, uh, <laughs> All right. I'm serious. I mean, you know, he was killing me. I, I used to like, hey, man, I'm the wiffle ball king. And here's this 10-year-old is killing me in wiffle ball. <laughs> Until I got my stroke together, and then after that, it was a wash, you know. So, uh, you know, I try to use my personal experiences as, as much as I can without necessarily talking about yourself, but just talking about your experiences. Hey, are you and Darren playing any wiffle ball? <laughs> no, no, we're you know we're in the batting cage, and you know, like I'm, I'm making a, a few uh, you know corrections. Uh, you know, he got a pretty good stroke, and uh, you know, this has been kind of a blessing for us too because like. Heck, man, I haven't spent this much time with my son and, and, and I don't know how long. And, you know, they had to take all their classes online. You know, they lost their season. Um, and so, you know, he's been home every day. You know, uh, you know, we we're social distancing. You know, he's helping me in the garden, helped me in the, in the vineyard. And, uh, you know, like we're – I mean, that is something, to, you know, to have a – now he's 21. I'm, how many 21-year-olds spend every day with their mom and dad? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and he yeah. wouldn't be, yeah, exactly. He wouldn't be either if he, if he, if he could, you know, but it's like I said, it's been, it's been a blessing. And, um, um, you know, I, I've, I've cleaned out garages. I've uh, cleaned out closets and given uh, a lot of stuff to the, you know, to the homeless. Uh, and, and it's made me more appreciative and realize actually that, you know, we have too much, you know, most of us have too much. And, uh, you know, uh, I mean, the more I give away, the you know, the less I see that I, I mean, the more I see I need more to give away and, and I don't need half this stuff. So, uh, like I said, it's given me a great appreciation of, you know, my life and, you know, what I've been through and, and hopefully to help other people. You know, since you brought up Darren, let, let me ask you about the reaction yeah. in your house when you learned the draft was only going to be five rounds. Mm -hmm. uh, you're you're a guy you wouldn't have gotten drafted if there'd only been a five round draft your year, and look what happened. Man, I got uh, drafted. I was twenty fifth. You know, right? What I mean? and, and there wasn't but twenty six rounds, and everybody told me they were just about to draft me. <laughs> Everybody's going <laughs> to draft me in a twenty six round. You know, so yeah, you're right. I mean, that's a um, you know, like I feel sad for some of these kids. I mean, I don't know where my son would get drafted, but I mean, it's, it's really splitting up the difference between the haves and the have nots, the rich and the poor. I mean, in the same draft, one guy could get eight, you know, eight million dollars. And then if you're in the sixth round, uh, you know, just out of the money, you know, the max they could give you is twenty thousand dollars. And, 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 you know, what that does it kind of gives a kid that's, that's, that's getting the two, five, ten, or whatever it is, a less of a look and less of a chance because they don't have as much money invested in this kid. I mean, I mean, let's face it, you know, ownership wants to get their return of investment on, on whoever they're investing this money in. And, 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 and the kid that doesn't get drafted very high or even drafted, period, I mean, he's going to have to make a super impression or else they're, you know, they'll probably just find an easy way to get rid of him. I, I would, th I mean, I think Darren's got a good chance to get picked, but if you two yeah. talked about what would happen if he doesn't, what he, what he would do? No, not really. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I like to think that glass is half full most of the time and right. he's working hard at it. And, uh, so, uh, uh, you know, we hadn't necessarily talked about it. His, his advisor 
you know, mentioned it to us. But, hey, man, he, he uh, you know, he knows he's going to be a big leaguer. I mean, and that's half the battle. Half the battle is, is you know, I mean, Doug will tell you, I, I mean, when I was 25th round draft choice, I was sizing up some of these kids. I was like, man, I, I, I was like, man, how do you draft this guy? Here? Right. Oh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, you drafted this guy, you know, and so – you know, like I just stress to my son that you have to feel that in your heart, no matter what uh, you're draft, you know where you're drafted or or what, you got to feel like you're the number one draft choice. Uh, you know, in your heart, and you have to genuinely believe that because that's the only thing that's going to take you through tough times sometimes. Yeah. So, Dusty, I mean, what's your go-to advice? I guess your number one message to Darren, you know, knowing what you know. Uh well, my number one advice, you know, we say our prayers every night before he goes to bed. And I just tell him, hey, you got to trust in God. You know, you got to trust, uh, trust God, try to do the right thing. And, and, and nobody outworks you. And, uh, you know, after watching the Michael uh, Jordan special for, for the five weeks there, I mean, this, this really even, you know, resonated more, you know, you know, to him. And I'm hopefully to, you know, to young players. You know, I mean, Michael Jordan got cut from his high school team and ended up being one of the greatest players of all time. So, but, you know, nobody outworks you. Uh, I stress to him that, that you know, uh, uh, thank God for his mom, uh, you know, getting on him and helping him, that he was a student athlete, not the other way around. And, uh, you know, be, a, be as well-rounded as a, as a person as you can. And uh, like my dad used to tell me all the time, no matter what's on, uh, the bottom line is, is try to do, you know, the right thing as often as you can. Hey, folks, this is Evil Mayor Cam here to tell you about our pallies at Hydrant. You want to kick the coffee habit, but you're worried about your energy levels. To avoid the morning sluggishness in that midday slump, you need to make sure you're hydrated. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day long. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a bucket packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com stark. That's drinkhydrant.com stark for 25% off your first order. Let's get back to the show. Uh, Dusty, I've read all 67 pages of Major League Baseball's proposed health and safety protocols, and I'm sure you're well aware of this proposal. I have it here, but I haven't read all 67 <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's entertaining reading, I'll tell you that. I know I'm, but, looking, at, I'm looking at it on my desk right here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm sure that you know that there are specific portions of it that refer to someone like you who would be deemed Correct. to be officially at risk. Uh, mm -hmm. it, so look, I know how fit and vibrant you are, but you're going to yeah. be required to do a lot of things different just out of a well, sense of precaution. So how concerned right. are you about your health and how different will you have to do your job? Well, you know, I'm concerned, you know, but I'm not worried. And there's a difference, you know. Uh, uh, I mean, I know my, you know, my health concerns. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, I've been through a lot to get to this point. 
You know, I've had prostate cancer 18 years ago. Sometimes I think about, you know, like if I had succumbed to that, you know, I wouldn't have seen my son grow uh, to this age. I wouldn't have seen my grandchild born in January the 15th. And then, you know, I had a stroke uh, uh, seven years ago. you know, I was in the hospital when I had it in Chicago and uh, I was being evaluated for something else. And so um, <clears throat> I don't really worry about those things because I've gotten some warnings. You know, most people don't get a warning in life. You know, they just have a heart attack and die or, or, or stroke and never be the same. So, you know, the fact that I've gotten warnings that, you know, uh, tells you to clean up your life. Uh, you know, I got I got more more mass than you can imagine. I mean, we get back to ball. I mean, they're going to think that I'm a, a Marine or army ranger or something when I get out there. So, you know, I, I, you know, my daughter's on me, my, my wife, my son, you know, about wiping down things, social distancing. And, you know, you know, perhaps I can, I can help other people, you know, you know, know how to, you know, get through this thing. And, and, and if it does get me, then, uh, you know, in my heart, you know, I, I, I think that the Lord wouldn't have brought me back here in this situation to take me out like this, but you don't want to be a fool and, and, and test it either. So I'm, I'm going to do, you know, whatever it takes to, you know, to be cautious and, and, and conscious of, of the social distancing and social uh, 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 responsibilities that I have for my team and myself. Yeah, you know they're they're recommending in that proposal that you know you not meet with players in your office, for example. Try mm-hmm. to meet with them outside. I mean, I know how yeah. you go about your job. Uh, you connect with yep. everybody in your team. How big of a challenge will that be? Well, it's going to be a challenge. I mean, we'll see. You know, hopefully things subside, and hopefully things get better. Now, the biggest challenge is going to be what my mom's been chastising me about my whole life. <laughs> spitting yes <laughs> i am not kidding you. Uh, that's the first thing my wife asked me she goes how are you going to stop spitting <laughs> what's the answer I, I don't know you know what i mean because and my mom I, I swear she has been getting on me since i was 10 years old spitting, you know what i mean and i i was like i used to practice spitting you know spitting I'm the most accurate spitter in the world. When I used to watch the cowboy <laughs> movies and see them spitting across the room and into like a, a spittoon uh, it, it, and make it jingle in the, in the corner. I'm like, oh, heck, I can do that. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to change, you know, I mean, change a lot of stuff. You know, like I said, I'm, I'm wiping down everything. I'm, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing, you know, I wipe down my steering wheel. Like I try to, you know, pump gas with with gloves on, you know, this is, you know, all kind of stuff. So uh, I just do what I got to do, you know, uh, and, and, and you adjust. And, and, and that's the thing about baseball players and athletes, period. You know, we're taught to adjust and then readjust. And if that doesn't work, then you readjust again. So that's, uh, that's something I'm used to, you know, doing is making adjustments. So what about the uh, the green tea? I remember the green tea and the chewing mm-hmm. sticks. Is that still yeah. part of your your routine? Yeah. Well, now I'm actually drinking matcha tea. Okay. You know, right. uh, uh, you know, like I I got a a lady in in Kauai, uh, um, you know, a Chinese individual that sends me matcha tea, and I drink matcha tea every morning, and then I drink this vitamin coffee that gives you half the nutrients for 
because you know I've been in the nutrient I've been in nutrition for a long long time yeah and, and so that's that's uh, you know without going crazy you know like I said I, this is all part of you know uh, uh, maintaining what you got you know like I I know you'll never be young again but I don't necessarily have to get old as fast as uh, <laughs> as fast as other people might my age because I, I look at them and, and I'm like hey man. I, I, I know I look better than that. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> well, I remember you your know, line. Was, I remember your line, Dusty. It said, "Some of y'all <laughs> around here <laughs> may be smarter than me, but none of y'all yeah. been around as long as I have." <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> you got good memory, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Dusty Sean Doolittle was with us a few weeks ago, and he might have been the first one that I heard say publicly that the high five is dead. And if you read those regulations, it's going to be yeah. dead. And, yep. you know, we, we know that you were part of the first yes. high five in recorded sports history. So I'd love for you to tell us the story of how Glenn Burke delivered that high five, but also <laughs> how much of the credit do you deserve? And look, there've been about maybe 3 trillion high fives since then. <laughs> yeah, so at least. Do you feel any sadness over the thought that yeah. no one might ever high five again? Well, you know, you got one of my, you have one of my favorite players on Sean Doolittle. I mean, that this this guy is is as great a person off the field and intelligent as he is on the field. Number one, but you know that doesn't bother me about the high five. This, they got to come up with something else because see, they, they, there were a number of years where I thought you know it was pretty cool, but then after I start thinking about it, I said I wish I had to come up or help come up with something else because that's really. Uh, you know, it's not very, you know, hygiene conscious, you know, even shaking hands, you know, I mean, and, and you know, you see people nodding, that's more, uh, you know, hygiene conscious than, than shaking hands or giving a high five. But, you know, you know, Glenn Burke did it, you know, not me. I just reciprocated to what Glenn was, <laughs> well, I swear, it was throwing on me and people wanted to give me the credit. You know, I mean, I hit the home run on the last, uh, my next to last at bat to be the, the fourth guy with 30 home runs. You know, Reggie Smith had told J.R. Uh, Richard, this was on Thursday. We had a four-game series Thursday through Sunday, and J.R. was pitching Sunday, and Reggie told J.R. that I was going to hit it off of him. Well, heck, I think I had one hit off J.R. and probably 50 at bat, you know what I mean, or more. <laughs> and I'm like, Reggie, he doesn't need any more motivation than that. And so uh, it came down to that last day. And uh, when I hit the wall one time – Hit a line drive, couldn't get it up. And that last day, I got a single to to right. I, I didn't get enough backspin on it. And then I foul tip the third strike, the second at bat. And there were two brothers uh, bet gambling in the first row over our dugout. And I saw them exchange. I swear, I saw them exchange money. And I'm like, man, them dudes are gambling. This one, and then I'm not gonna get it. So I got in the dugout, and I'm sitting down because I'm tired. I mean, Garvey is trying to get his 200. Uh, 200 hits. Reggie and and uh, and Penguin were, were were you know were resting, and uh, I said, man, I don't think I'm going to get it. And then Tom Lasorda comes over to me, the, the consummate, consummate positive thing. He goes, Dusty, you know, the children of Israel were by the Red Sea, and then the Lord parted the Red Sea. And you got to believe. I like Tommy, please, man. I don't feel like hearing that. I says, please, just, okay, I believe. Okay, man, just leave me alone. So I go up the next. The third at bat, and I see those same guys talking about about, about I'm not going to do it. And uh, I swear, the ball looked like he threw me a low and away fastball. It looked like it stopped, 
And uh, I mean, that must be how Hank Aaron and Barry Bonds saw every pitch. <laughs> <Right. laughs> <laughs> and I hit it over the center field fence and I gave Jim Gilliam, I shook his hand and then I came around and then I saw the one guy like, disgustedly threw some money on the on the top of the dugout because <laughs> he lost. I was so happy for him that he lost. And then uh and then Glenn Burke threw his hands up and and that's how it happened. Wow. And so uh yeah that was uh I mean that was quite a moment. But you know what I learned from that experience so because Steve Garvey and I went into the playoffs and and we were the only two guys, even though we were hot uh, uh, tired, we were the only two guys that were swinging good. And then we got to the World Series, and then Reggie and Penguin had gotten their stroke back, and then they carried us, you know, uh, more in the World Series. But I learned that. I mean, I didn't know that at the time, that, that you know, you got to play these guys somewhat all the way up, you know, to the, you know, to the playoffs, you know, versus having them just sit down and rest because then they'll lose their stroke. So once you guys did the first high five, did you just keep on doing it every day until it caught on around the world? (laughs) Man, I don't know. (laughs) Don't ask me. (laughs) You know something? We were just playing. You know, we were just playing ball. And then the next year they had like high fiving with the Dodgers. And I I got like a scorecard with me and Steve Garvey. uh, up there, so I I don't know how. And then it, it, I mean, this thing evolved to National High Five Day, and people uh, call me <laughs> right. and like, "Congratulations, today's your day!" And I'm like, "For what?" I didn't hear. <laughs> you got any so, like licensing fee or royalties? I mean, could you imagine that? That would have been a a great deal. Hey man, you know what I try to do? <laughs> I try to get some uh, uh, a deal with uh, you know with toothpicks. Yes. And so uh, I use these Australian che- uh, chewing sticks, Doug, that you know about. And so I'm doing orthodontic work and I'm doing my toothpicks and stuff instead instead of uh, uh, dipping. So I called the company. I said, you know something, I'd be a great representative. It won't cost you that much. And so they wrote me back, nice letter, and said, Dusty, thank you for, you know, for, it's a great idea, but we don't need you to sell toothpicks. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was my return letter. Oh, hey, I, I got a really important toothpick oh, question. Boy. How are you going to chew on a toothpick yeah. with a mask on? That's another oh, question yeah. my wife asked me. Uh, Dad, I, I don't know. I'm going to have to get an extended like, like, like mouthpiece on it. You know what I mean? So It could bend to the left know, or something. I, I, I don't even like It's possible <laughs> that the toothpicking might be illegal now. Well, it oh might God. be gone. Yeah. Hey, I just make, hey, I just, I just make the adjustment. You know, <laughs> I mean, to tell you the truth, I mean, I mean, this was a, this was a, a present from above, even though, you know, like I, I really like and, and admire, you know, AJ Hinch, but there's no way when the, after last winter that I thought that I would uh, be managing the, you know, the Houston Astros. I mean, this is a, uh, because there's, you know, I thought I had a chance at the Philly job, you know, like I, I, I want a chance at a, at a, at a championship, uh, you know, before it's over. Cause I didn't understand like three different times when I was out of a job for, for two years with, with, with not an offer to do anything. And we had just come off with like playoffs all, every time. And it's like, okay. Uh, I mean, I see other guys losing and getting extensions and I, I, I you know, we were winning. We didn't win at all, but I, I just didn't understand that. And so, you know, when this opportunity, when I got the call, you know, they called me 
and I, I, I discuss it with my family uh, because I need 137 victories for 2,000 <clears throat> plus. You know, they made me an offer that I, you know, I couldn't refuse. Uh, I, I know the chance and 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 risk that I'm taking, you know, by going out there. But this is something that I felt that, uh, and, and my son told me. My son said, "Dad, he goes, look, I mean, this is this is a great opportunity." You know, him and my wife told me they said, you know, you either, uh, you know, go win a championship with the Astros or you come watch me play. You know, which I have been doing. Uh, the last couple of years, and that was a blessing. Even though I wasn't in the game, I mean, I missed so much of his of his life. Uh, you know, watching your sons play, you know, play ball the way my dad watched me play ball. And so, uh, you know, I couldn't lose either way. Uh, you know, by accepting the job or by you know going to watch my son play. Yeah, Dusty. I mean, you know, mentioning taking the job. You know, given you know, sort of you know the cloud that formed. Uh, with yeah. with all the sign stealing and all the challenges, I mean, what what has been your you know sort of biggest focus to kind of you know sort of switch that over? Because you know once we come back, whenever that mm-hmm. is, uh, yeah, it'll be you know, there'll be a lot of excitement. But then it will kind of go back to new rules yeah. and, and new adjustments. And then you have the Red Sox. So what's been your your sort of biggest step to get ahead of that? Well, you know, in spring training, I mean, it was kind of tough. You know, I mean, you know, you had a you know, defend something that you weren't there, but you also, you know, you're also a part of it now. And, you know, I saw the genuine remorse that, you know, that the players had, uh, but you know, how many times can you say you're sorry? You know what I mean? And we, and, 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 and they came out and said that, I mean, we talk about forgiveness, we talk about this or that, but we're not a very forgiving, uh, um, um, you know, country really or world. You know, because it's, it's it's constantly, you know, you bring it up. I mean, and, you know, if a person is requiring forgiveness, you say, you know, you repent for what you did wrong. Okay. Uh, you, you know, you hope you never do it again. And then you got to flush it. Then you got to like, you know, forget it and put it in the past. Because, you know, guilt is, I think, is, is one of the worst emotions in the world. Because, I, I, you know, I lost my brother uh, a year ago. And, and you know, to manic depression, and I know that that, that part of it, the most of it, was probably due, you know, to guilt. You know, he was a, a, a brilliant kid, uh, was a um, uh, you know, CLU and insurance CFP certified financial planner. He had double masters. I mean, this I mean, this guy was brilliant. And then during the stock market crash and during the in the eighties, you know, he lost some money. You know, for all of us. But, you know, he couldn't get over it. And that's what I learned at that time about you got to flush it. You got to get rid of guilt because guilt won't let you sleep. Guilt won't let you uh, eat. Uh, it stays constantly on your mind. And so these, these are some lessons that, you know, I've also told, you know, my team about. And, and these are things that I was blessed with. I, wasn't, I didn't think it was a blessing at the time. But, you know, for me to, to you know, to spread some wisdom and knowledge to, you know, the younger uh, players and young young men about, you know, how to flush and get rid of stuff. Well, and to that point, Dustin, I mean, what do you, uh, you know, what's the lesson for those sort of on the other side of that, right? I mean, you mentioned, okay, the Astros have their own internal battle just to kind of get past it and not, 
you know, live Correct. with this forever. But, you know, you're imagine you're in the other dugout, right? You're the, you know, mm-hmm. any of these teams, the Dodgers. I mean, what do you say to them uh, in, in that regard of, about the lessons to move forward? Well, I don't think you say nothing to them. They're, you know, they've done quite a bit of talking themselves. Yeah, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. they, you know, you know, nobody's, you know, beyond, uh, you know, some kind of guilt. You know, everybody got something that they don't want somebody to know about, you know. And uh, so, you know, I'm sure that, you know, nobody lives in glass houses. I mean, you have to – you can't worry about what they feel on the other side. I mean, you got you to gotta clean up your own house. You got to flush your own, uh, you know, ghost of your past. And so, uh, you, you know, if you uh, – I mean, what are you going to do? You're not going to try to beat them? You know what I mean? It's going to be the same. I mean, you got to compete, uh, and actually, you got to refocus. Uh, you know, to you know, to make yourselves uh, even stronger than you were before. And the only way to prove your innocence and prove how really good you are is to go out and win. You know, win uh, 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 now, win again. You know, and then, you know, what can people say then? And if they do say something. You know, you can't worry about it. You just got to go out and, and, and play your game. Get acquainted with your better smelling self with help from Hawthorne. Hawthorne uses study-backed research to pair you with grooming products based off your skin, hair, and scent-based needs. By answering Hawthorne's quick quiz, no need to cheat, it's really easy, guys, you'll be matched with cologne, shampoos, deodorants, and other wonderful smell-centric wares. It's like a dating app for your nose, except... You're never going to get left on red. And Hawthorne offers free shipping and free returns. Okay, so it's not exactly like a dating app, but their quiz does do a fantastic job of honing in on your specific smelling needs. Look, I tend to sweat when I work out and watch cops, and because of the staining power my perspiration possesses, the splotches on my shirts leave me embarrassed. Hawthorne saved the day, though, by curating a selection of personalized body products, including a stain-free deodorant. Take that, sweat! Plus, Hawthorne pinpoints a pair, not just one, of colognes that are tailored to you based off your workspace, personality, and how you choose to use your free time. That's why my work cologne is fresh and aquatic, so I don't offend my dogs' noses. And my play scent is aromatic and witty. Check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne, H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E, and dot co, not dot com. Hawthorne.co and use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co and use the promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. You know, here's one thing that I wonder about. When Mm. baseball resumes, there won't be any human beings in the stands. And if this has been a normal season, I I think we all agree that when the Astros went out of the road, those people in the seats would have made life really unpleasant for you and your team, right? So now... Well, they were angry. They were angry. Yeah, okay. So now you won't have to listen to any of that on the road. What's the impact (laughs) on your team of not having to deal with that? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, we're in uncharted uh, territory. You know, I mean, I know uh, I saw in spring training. I mean, I mean, people were were genuinely upset and mad. And even some of the kids, I, I could tell, were influenced by their, you know, by their fathers. And I think that's or, or the, the media or their mothers or whoever, because there one kid I saw him come down to the dugout. He's yelling at a couple of guys. He's like 10 years old. 
you know, my dad says you're a cheater. And, and, you know, I, I even saw a tear come down the, you know, you know, the player's face. And I was like, I mean, you know, I mean, this genuinely, uh, <clears throat> you know, upset most of the guys, but I mean, again, you know, this could be a, you know, blessing in disguise with no, no people in the stands. I remember when, you know, I was with Barry Bonds and I remember when Ryan Braun and all, all kind of guys were, were around and people were yelling at them, you know, about the steroids, you know, back in the day. And, uh, but, you know, like they say, time heals all wounds and, and, and hopefully time might have, you know, subsided, you know, some of the wounds that are out there, you know, from last year. Yeah, and, and Dusty, you, you know, within that, you have star players, and you've been around a lot of star players. I mean, what's been, mm-hmm. you know, what's been your big takeaway when you, you know, obviously you've had a storied career in your own right, but you have a Hank Aaron, and then on the managerial side, Barry Bonds, Bryce Harper. I mean, what's what's been that sort of through line between all these great players, especially now you you may be facing these extra challenges and that type of mm-hmm. leadership that you're looking to. Well, you know, the one thing. I mean, these guys are, 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 you know, full of talent. You know, they're blessed with, uh, uh, um, you know, they're uh, uh, blessed with vision. They're blessed with concentration. Uh, you know, I have, have uh, you know, a tremendous amount of competitiveness. I mean, you look at Jeff Ken. I had Ellis Burks, uh, Sammy Sosa, um, you know, Ken Griffey Jr., uh, Joey Votto, Jay Bruce. I had some great great uh players you know and uh um, you know the one thing about them all is that they got a lot of pride um and they and and they come to beat you and uh i'm looking forward to you know imagine this crew of guys because uh uh, i mean this is this is a very talented bunch of guys and uh so but you know we got to do it the right way uh you know hopefully like you said you know we get back to play here it's a big week coming up next week it's a huge week uh, as far as you know, coming up with the agreement <clears throat> and, uh, you know, it's going to satisfy both sides. And also number one, uh, thing is to be safer, you know, for all concerned. You know, I don't think, uh, we've had a chance to talk to you since the Red Sox punishment came down. And obviously the way they were judged was very different from the way the Astros were judged. The penalties were a lot different. Just wonder mm-hmm. about your thoughts about what was handed down to them versus your team? Well, I didn't really have any thoughts, really, you know, because, you know, my thoughts weren't going to change the outcome of anything. I mean, you know, you just got to accept, you know, when you do something wrong, you just got to accept what the punishment is. And it really doesn't, you know, it really doesn't matter what my, you know, what my thoughts are. i tell you the truth. I, I, I didn't even really pay attention i mean i saw that it came down but i didn't i didn't study it i didn't go into you know hardly any of it because it's 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 too late you know i mean that's wasted time and emotion on my side you know i mean i got so much other things going you know like i said i got my family i got baker energy which i'm 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 concerned about the carbon footprint in america i got baker family wine so see you know uh I'm busy, Jay. Every time, every time I lost a job, every time I lost a job, you started. Yeah. I started a new business. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the last business I'm gonna start for a while. I think. <laughs> yeah, right. 
Yeah, and 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 within that, like, and I, I always think of someone like Mike Trout. You hear about him being mm-hmm. passionate about weather reporting and and these oh, sort yeah. of second careers. And you've had the perspective to be able to step away, you know, maybe yeah. not always by choice, but to come back with right. a different perspective. So, well, you know, I watch that, that. You know, something I found that interesting about Trout because that's the first thing I turn on every morning. Channel three sixty two is a weather station. Yeah. I, I swear, it's the first thing I turn on because I'm curious because see. When I went to Alaska last year, me and my son and my best friend, and, and, and I had talked to some scientists about global warming, uh, some people that, it's, that had uh, done some research up in uh, Alaska about the glaciers melting and, uh, um, you know, the oceans gaining uh, a half an inch all over the world. But that's, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of ice, I mean, for that ocean to, to gain an eighth of an inch or half an inch or whatever. And when I went up there, I saw uh, the, a whole bunch of glaciers melting that that I thought were, were waterfalls in the tropics. And, and I asked somebody, I said, man, where are those waterfalls up there? And he said, those are glaciers melting. So, you know, being an outdoorsman, a hunter, and a fisherman, I'm going fishing tomorrow, as a matter of fact. Uh, you know, I'm very uh, conscious about, you know, the world that we live in, and hopefully we leave, a, you know, a better world for our, for our children and our children's children. Yeah, and and within that, you know, we think of baseball setting examples. You know, uh, what mm-hmm. what do you think the greatest opportunity is right now for Major League Baseball to really leave that better world? What, what's the opportunity you well, see? Number one, I think I think this is a great opportunity for baseball because people are hungry for programming. You know, I mean, I would be doing all these podcasts if there was programming. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> It's the truth. And, I, and I, I didn't know there were this many podcasts. And so, you know, I mean, uh, uh, you know, people are, are, are hungry for sports. You know, I'm hungry for sports. It's, it's a big part of the world. It's a big part of, a, you know, of America. And, uh, you know, I mean, baseball. Uh, I mean, I watched the Luke Gehrig uh, story the other night, and it's like, man, I, I, you know, I've forgotten all about that, about, about the, you know, the effect that, you know, sports has on America. Um, and this is a way, the perfect time for America to get back some of the people that they're losing, you know, especially the younger generation of, 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 of people. You know, I mean, we've lost a lot of people to, to other sports. They say it's too slow, boom, boom. And hopefully the game can, can, can change back, uh, uh, you know, to some kind of excitement, you know, some stealing other than just home runs and strikeouts. I mean, some, you know, some base running, some, you know, some daring stuff that you see back, you know, Jackie Robinson stealing home plate. I mean, these are things that, you know, that resonate in your mind for a long, long time. So, you know, I'm hoping the game can, you know, recreate itself and, and just get away from just straight home runs, strikeouts and, 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 and kind of boring baseball in a way. Hey, speaking of programming, uh, you, you mentioned that you've been watching The Last Dance, and mm-hmm. I, I got a question for you. What yeah. baseball player that you have been around do you think would have been a great subject for a Last Dance-type treatment? Uh, I mean, we thought about Barry. We had Mike Tolan on last mm-hmm. week talking to him about Barry. I actually have a different nomination. Yeah. I can tell you mine, but I'd love to hear yours. I'd probably, I'd probably go – Barry and Ken Griffey Jr. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I mean, they have to be I, comfortable I, I, with you know talking a lot about themselves, right? Well, 
Michael it's talked for nine how, hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I understand that. But, you know, I mean, uh, you know, when people get away from the spotlight, then they tend to get more comfortable. You know what I mean? And, uh, you mm-hmm. know, when they're in the spotlight, then they're, you know, they don't really, uh, they say they don't want the spotlight, but then they get used to the spotlight. Then when the spotlight's taken away, then it's easier for them to come back, you know, you know, to the spotlight. Uh, like I said, I, I was with Bill Cartwright yesterday. And really? Yeah, because, you know, Big Bill's from Sacramento. And so, yeah. you know, he came down to the winery. You know, we were doing some bottling. And so he came down and, uh, you know, I mean, because he was all through that. Oh, yeah. You know, he played with my brother, the one that, you know, died about a year ago. And, uh, you know, he played against my brother. And so, uh, uh, yeah, I was just curious about, you know, he didn't tell me a whole bunch because I was trying to get some inside scoop. (laughs) 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 And so, but, uh, but, but, uh, you know, I told him I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it big time. And uh, I think a lot of other people enjoyed it. Uh, And a lot of other people watched it because there wasn't much programming. I mean, I mean. You know, I hate to have to be somewhere every like. That's why I don't watch sitcoms or they'll be somewhere every night at six o'clock. But but every Sunday at six o'clock to eight o'clock, you know, I was there, you know, watching Michael Jordan, and uh, and I I really I thoroughly, you know, enjoyed that. But you know, before we go any further, you know, I I just want to you know wish all the veterans out there t- today, you know, on Memorial Day. And, and and I told Doug, I said, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to to do this today, um, you know, on Memorial Day. And, uh, you know, my dad, you know, was in the Navy. He was in World War II. Um, you know, at the, at the time, they had the segregated Navy, and I had to ask him questions about it. And then I had my Uncle Roby who was in the Air Force. My Uncle Buddy was in the Air Force. My Uncle Floyd was in the Navy. My cousin Tommy was in the Navy. Then my brother Rob was in the uh, Air Force Reserves, and then I was in the Marine Reserves from from '69 to '75 while I was playing ball. And uh, you know, during that time, uh, you know, the time of Vietnam, you know, there were a bunch of uh, ball players, either in the National Guard, Marines, or the Air Force. Uh, uh, I remember Rick Mundy was in, and uh, Gene Tennis, David Lopes was in. I mean. Like, like I was reading back in the day, like like uh, Ted Williams and and uh, uh, Bob Kennedy, they were pilots. Willie Mays even went in the went in the uh, in the army. And so uh, I was just you know thinking back, you know about uh, I was watching some movies last night, and uh, I'm gonna watch Audi movie, uh, Audie Murphy movie, uh, world movie today. But the thing that I was probably one of the things that I'm probably most proud of. Because I'm in a number of, of Hall of Fames, I'm not in the in the Grand Hall of Fame, but but you know I'm in the, like the Negro League Hall of Fame, the Sacramento, the Riverside, uh, the High School Hall of Fame. But the one I'm probably most proud of is is I was uh, honored to when I was in Washington, I was nominated and 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 accepted into the Marine or uh, Corps Hall of Fame, and uh, that that kind of you know you know, kind of hits home, especially with my dad. Cause see, uh, the reason I joined the Marines is because, you know, Vietnam was hot. Uh, I was in school. Um, I, I didn't come out until June to play ball because you had to carry 15 units per semester or else you were drafted. You couldn't have any incompletes or Fs or anything. And, uh, 
So the Braves told me I was on a fast track. So they said, well, Dusty, we want you to join the National Guard uh, next year instead of going back to school because I had already signed. And I said, no, I couldn't. I can't join the National Guard because the National Guard and like uh, was being called out back then, you know, in, in, in freedom marches and riots all over the country. And so uh, what was left was, uh, you know, was the Marines. And uh, so that's why I joined the Marines. Um, I was dressed Blue Honor Man out of boot camp because, uh, you know, when you get there, they say, hey, man, there's going to be one, one recruit here. It's going to be the, uh, the Honor Man, and he'll get a blue uniform, and everybody else will be in green. So, you know, I was so competitive. You know, you had to be expert in rifle, hand-to-hand combat, scholastically, all kind of stuff. So I was like, well, you can just give me that right now. We can just get rid of it. We don't have to do this uh, eight weeks of training <laughs> camp here. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I remember that, that, that Mr. Bill Lucas, one of the first black um, uh, farm directors and general managers, him and Paul Snyder, came down to Paris Island, you know, you know, to represent uh, uh, me and the Braves you know, the, you know, when I was presented my, my uh, blue uniform, which my mom just gave me about mm, two years ago. I didn't know she had kept it. And, uh, but the only thing is I can't put one arm in that thing. You know, I don't know how much I was weighing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So I've had yeah. a good life. Yeah, and, Dusty. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. And I mean, and I, what do you think baseball – uh, can do to continue to you know uphold those sacrifices. I mean, you talk about you've, you've been very open about uh, diversity and coaching and managerial ranks, and uh, you know yeah. where do you stand now, or what do you see? Well, we need more. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we need more. I mean, big time. I mean, because because you know there was there was always a certain uh, a, a feeling that there might have been some you know some you know some racial inequalities, racial discrimination, which nobody wants to hear. But but there's new kind of discriminations now, you know, that I'm looking at. There's, there, I mean, there's age discrimination, uh, which is followed by salary discrimination, which is usually they go hand in hand because it takes you 20 years to get to a certain salary. And then when you get there, then then you're too old and they want to get rid of your money. But there's also intellectual uh, discrimination is the first thing that people ask you now is where'd you go to school? And it's, it's almost like uh, life's experiences and, uh, 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 you know, life's wisdom that you might've learned is, is, you know, has no bearing or has no value. And, uh, you know, I'd like to see both, both things, uh, encompass, you know, they talk about all oh, the old school, or the new school. Well, there's only one school to me is to write school, you know, you know? And so, I, I'd like to see, you know, uh, you know, more people of color get into authoritative positions, uh, hiring positions. Because until you get into a hiring position, then then that's what's happening. And, you know, a lot of people are hiring their friends, and and if you come from certain sec uh, segments of society or, or a certain level, there's a good chance that that if you're in the upper echelon, that you don't have, you know, many friends of of color. Uh, uh, you know, in your circle. So therefore, you know, the circle doesn't get very diversified. So, um, you know, we got to find a way to, you know, to be more inclusive of, uh, of, uh, of people of color, you know, of women, of, uh, uh, to try to get as diversified as we can to get a full uh, objective uh, 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 and, and, and um, 
uh, picture here that's not just painted one way. You know, I, I, I love diversity because, because you get different attitudes. You know, you get a different uh, uh, outlook on things. And I think, uh, you know, fresh, fresh outlooks is, you know, always good for, for increasing the mind and the body. You know, Dusty, no African-American manager has mm. had the chance to win a World Series since Cito Gaston in 1993. And Well, Wash know, did. I, Didn't Wash have uh, Oh, I'm Wash. sorry. Well, Wash had the chance. I, I shouldn't have put yeah. it that way because obviously yeah, okay. you had the chance. Wash had the yeah. chance. Nobody has yeah. actually won since Cito. We're, we're talking about almost 30 yeah. years ago. And, yeah. you know, so much has been written and said about this maybe being your last opportunity to win a World Series as a manager. And yet I, mm-hmm. I've heard you on some of those podcasts that you said you've been on. <laughs> right. And you've consistently said that you feel like what we're going through as a nation right now is more important than that. But I, I know yeah. this still matters to you. What well, does winning mean to it, you at this point in your life? Well, if it didn't matter, I wouldn't be back. You know what I mean? And so, right. you know, you know, Phil's was the last dance. Even before I saw the last, the, it was called the last dance. <laughs> right. See, I already had my, I already had my title. I had the last rock. You know what I mean? <laughs> the, <laughs> and and yeah. so, yeah, this is my, you know, my last rock. And, uh, you know, it was presented to me. Yeah. Yeah. I want to win. Heck yeah. I mean, I've always felt, Hey man, if, if I win one, I win two. But, uh, and, and I, and I got a chance to, Two, uh, uh, you know, possibly win two. You know, we get back this year. You know, this is synonymous to us in 1981, where in 1981 the Astros won the second half of the season. The 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 uh, uh, Dodgers, which I was on, won the first half of the season. Cincinnati had the best overall record and didn't get to go to the playoffs, and we and we were the world champions. And that's been a long time. I mean, I've had opportunities. I mean, through Hooker Crook or or, or or, or a call, a play, a, a move, or something, uh, you know, that prevented that, you know, you know, from, you know, from happening. And uh, uh, yeah, it doesn't eat at me, but uh, uh, um, and you know, it really doesn't bother me that that people, oh, you haven't done this, you haven't done that. I mean, I've done quite a bit, but I haven't. Yeah, but there's 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 one one more thing left to do. And uh, well, two things left to do. Uh, there's there's a championship, and then uh, and then to win two thousand. And see, Cito uh, uh, Gaston was my teammate the day I signed, nineteen sixty seven. And uh, uh, you know, Cito have been close, uh, and I have been close ever since. When I signed with the Braves in Little Rock, Arkansas, um, I dropped the first fly ball hit to me. I was eighteen years old. <laughs> and it, it and and there there were some 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 uh, about forty people sitting in right field right next to me, and they were calling me all kind of names. This is nineteen sixty seven, first time I'd been in the South, and they were calling me some stuff I had never heard before. Some of them pretty good, really. And so uh, I dropped that first fly ball, and I started crying because they these names they were calling me, and I said, "Man, I want to go home, man." Because and so uh, I talked to my mom. She told me, who can I talk to on the team? I said, well, Cito, he's an older player. So Cito took me under his wing. I was with him every day with him and Ralph Gar. And that's how we became uh, close. And so uh, 
uh, one of the bubblegum cards that I'm on, which is probably the one, well, there's two of them that I'm on, uh, that I'm most proud of, is my rookie card with Tom Pachurik and Don Baylor, my good friend Don Baylor, and then the other managerial card that I'm on with, uh, you know, with, with uh, Cito Gaston. So, uh, yeah, that's one thing I like to do. I like to join uh, Cito hopefully this year or next year. That would be cool. Now, we can't let you get out of here without ta- having you talk a little bit about managing the great Doug Glanville and his hair. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you one thing. Oh, Dougie, hey, man, his hair was always pretty. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't think it's that pretty right now from what and we see, hear. Doug, yeah. And see, Doug could play. You know, Doug Doug's probably, I mean, I, I, I was proud of Doug, you know, you know, because where he went to school and 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 and, and how well spoken he was. Uh, but you know, you know, he's he he could converse with anybody. You know, uh, uh, you know about almost anything. Uh, I mean, Doug could play. I mean, he could run, he could throw, he could hit, and he, and he had a heck of an idea on on what to do on the baseball field. But uh, you know, nowadays. A lot of players like Doug or myself or Greg Maddox that you look at might not even sign, you know, or, you know be signed because I, I see what they're looking for now. And, and, and that's bad. That's bad because nowadays each role might not be in demand. Pete Rose might not be in demand. Uh, uh, Tony Gwynn, uh, Wade Boggs, you know, any of these guys that are, that are table setters for the big boys. See, everybody wants a whole team full of big boys, but you got to have some guys that put the pitcher in the stretch. You got to have some guys for when those guys hit those, those home runs that they have, uh, you know, they're not solos that, that they're two and three run homers. And so, um, you know, when I look back, uh, you know, this is what I hope the game uh, uh, evolves uh, to, to see that, you know, everybody's needed to have a full fledged baseball game and not just, you know, not just sluggers. Yeah. Well, no, I appreciate that, Dusty. And I, I did, I, I figured I'd have one, I have one follow-up question about my, my hair. Um, <laughs> so, so 2003, and remember I, I had a, 2002 was a tough year. My father passed away the last game mm. of the season in 02 with the Phillies and I got my 1000th hit. So I decided that off season to get away from all the tight fades and just let it go. So my hair, I signed with Texas and my hair went from a seven and three eighths helmet size to a eight. <laughs> so it was, I was hitting Oscar Gamble, you know, that was where I was trying to go, Gary Maddox and Oscar. And, uh, so at oh, one yeah. point, but of course it, my, my version is that it, it, I didn't do anything with it. I didn't really comb it. And one day you, you said to me, you said, dude, I, I appreciate what you're doing. But you either need to braid it, twist it, or cut it. That's it. You gave me those three options. Braid it, twist it, or cut it. And I was like, man, this is Dusty from the 70s. I thought he'd appreciate this. And you're like, no, man, you're not taking care of it. So that was it. So I got a haircut in Milwaukee. I'll tell you what, though. Right, right now, you'd be in style. Because, see, man, these dudes, they don't, they don't cut it. They don't twist it. They don't do nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like... It's like, come on, son. And like, no, this is the style. Like, like, do, do you wash it? Or at least wash it. You know what I'm saying? So, 
Uh, All right, guys. Uh, well, you well, guys doing good, man. Good luck to you. And, thanks, Dusty, uh, man. Really appreciate and your time. And thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, yeah Dusty, we don't always get people as classy as you visiting us here at Starkville, man. Yeah. So thank you so much for taking this time on a holiday to brighten our day. Yes. Wish you all the best. Hope our paths cross in a ballpark yep. someplace in 2020. Absolutely. That's okay. We will. Count right. it. All right. Sounds good. All right. Sounds great to me. All right. All right, All right Dustin. Later. Be safe. Thanks for Doug, it's time for one of our favorite parts of every podcast. It's listener trivia. It's our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. We'll tell you how that works shortly. But here is this week's question. It comes from a guy whose Twitter handle is Joe from Bugaha. Uh, although then he identifies himself as Joe no longer in Bugaha. Uh, <laughs> you should know Bugaha is not actually a real place. It's a nickname for Omaha, Nebraska. Ah. But uh, Joe from Bugaha is a legendary emailer of the Jim Rome Show. I can't tell you if this is him or a Joe in Bugaha imitator. We don't know. We don't need to know. <laughs> right. But he does have a great question. That's what matters here. Here comes his question. He says two players hit at least 20 homers every year during the 1990s. Who were they? Okay, mm. there are a lot of possible answers here. I've been going through it in my head. Some obvious ones, McGuire, Sosa, Bonds, Griffey. And you got all these other guys who were offensive machines in the 90s, Rafael Palmero, Albert Bell, yeah. Jeff Bagwell, Fred McGriff, Matt Williams, Bobby Bonilla, Ooh. Joe Carter, Frank Thomas was there. Oh, goodness. It's a lot of it's a lot of guys to sift through. I, I'm sure Barry Bonds has to be one, but who is the other? I, I feel like it can't be too obvious or it wouldn't be a good trivia question. So I've kicked this around all like all day. I, I'm gonna go with Fred McGriff just because he was a machine. Never got hurt. Numbers just so consistent year after year for a decade and a half. And this was in that time. So that's my answer. Bonds and McGriff. What do you think, Doug? Yeah, I mean, my first thought, yeah, I, I went back towards the draft, right? 85, 86, somewhere in that ballpark. Because they, yeah. there are some legendary drafts. And I think, uh, I want to say this recent article wasn't there about the, the top drafts that I was looking at. Uh, unfortunately, ninety-one wasn't in it. So, so um, but yeah. So, I, I mean, I pretty much the list you had. I mean, I thought about Albert Bell and all these characters, but uh, but one I like, I do like the crime dog, you know, Fred McGriff, because I, I feel like it's one of those steady under the radar types, right? Who hit like twenty a year, didn't necessarily hit fifty. So, I like crime dog, and I really didn't have much of a clue after that, other than a wild guess. I thought about Gary Sheffield and. Uh, but you know, so I, I think I, I got to go with someone, you know, like junior since he's had, you know, how many, what do you have a thousand home runs or what? Uh, <laughs> it, it seemed like, I don't, I couldn't remember when he like first had his big first year, but I, I'll just stick with junior and Ken Griffey jr. Is the other, other, so the Griff, uh, okay. Griff and Griff. So I, okay. So I, uh, I've got Bonds and McGriff. You've got Griffey and McGriff. Fred, yeah. Gr Fred McGriff is one of those human trivia yeah he's got answers. right exactly so, steady uh, steady every year all right we're, we're gonna have to call the mayor in to get the actual 
answer. Yeah, guys, I love your guesses. Barry Bonds was obviously one of the two players who hit 20 home runs per season throughout the 90s. Fred McGriff was also a fantastic guest, but in 1998, he only hit 19 home runs. The second gentleman to accomplish this feat, however, was the Carson Crusher, Matt Williams. (laughs) How about we relive a moment in Matt Williams' history? Let's turn back to 1994 when he crushed his league-leading 43rd home run. Here's Harry Carey. Yeah. There's a drive. Look out. That might be out of here. It could be. And it is. His 43rd home run of the year. Matt Williams, 400 feet away from the plate. Ah, it might be. (laughs) It is. I can't get enough of that. (laughs) Love Harry Carey. Uh, that that so that would have been uh, midsummer, nineteen ninety four, number forty three for Matt Williams. <laughs> and you know what, Doug? There was not a number forty four because they went on strike, oh, and he led right. the league that that's year right. with forty three of them. Wow, uh, what a shame! That's right? right, we thought he was going to hit like sixty. You know, he, he, he was, had a shot. Yeah, he definitely had a shot. Um, Okay, now one thing we try to do in this segment is we use the trivia question to inspire a topic for the show. Uh, the 90s was also Doug Glanville's... <laughs> Doug Glanville's... T- okay, let me do this again. The 90s was also Doug Glanville's decade. Yes. So this is your chance, man. Tell us a story about Barry Bonds or Matt Williams or just something <laughs> inspired by that. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean... Playing against, they were so deadly, the Giants. I mean, well, I think of Candlestick Park and the crazy weather there. That comes to mind right out of the gate. I but, was there. Uh, but yeah, like freezing in July. That was one of the first games I went to as a kid. I went to 81, I think it was Fernando Valenzuela's pitching in uh, in Candlestick somewhere in the early 80s. So yeah, I just think cold. So Williams was an awesome <laughs> player, just destroyed us. Bonds, uh, you know, just... Obviously, he was Bond. But I, I do remember a couple times when we had some, uh, we were on the field and he tried to recruit me to kind of work out with him. And I remember, yeah, I remember Jimmy Rollins later was working out with Tony Gwynn. And I was like, yeah, you know, but I was like, yeah, I think I'll, I'll pass on working out with Barry Bonds. And I uh, ended up going a different direction. But, but, uh, but later when I started broadcasting, I had a chance to talk to him at the cage. And I had never had this much time talking to him in my entire life. And for whatever reason, maybe shortly after the whole Balco and everything came down, he uh, he was talking a lot. And one thing he kept bringing up was about the shift and shifting defenses. And I thought the line that really struck me was that he said, shifts, all they do is cover for a pitcher's mistake. And I thought that was really interesting. Like, Okay, you know, and he just felt it created this disincentive for pitchers to really pitch because you, you kind of like, just imagine if you had, you know, 50 fielders out there, would you really worry about hitting the corners and hitting the black or would you just throw it over the plate? Right now it's, you know, other than the home run, obviously, he kind of mentioned that, that that's what it effectively leads to. And and I think the line he mentioned, it might've been something he relayed from Willie Mays or some you know someone in his legendary family was that... Um, when you, he said, stop worrying about beating the shift because they may keep you from hitting 400, but they won't keep you from hitting 300 with damage. And of course, he has the luxury to say that. I couldn't say that, but, but it, it sort of made sense. So it was really fascinating to hear him break down some of the, you know, this is the shift into modernity of the analytics and shifting world. 
uh, and how he saw it as this great player that basically you couldn't get out in so many different ways and how he felt that this was doing something as a disservice to the excellence of a certain position. So, and I figured he had the credibility to say it, so I listened. <laughs> so. He, yeah, now, uh, Barry Bonds, not a shift fan, okay? Like, no. I learned this one time. The first piece I ever wrote about the shift, this would have been, God, in the, it's in the 2000s sometime, but uh, it was just getting to the point where teams were re, were using the shift on Barry pretty much every at bat when certainly with nobody on right so i decided i was going to do this piece and amazingly barry wanted to talk to me about it it was you never knew but on this topic he was all in so i asked this question about the shift and <laughs> this was his answer doug it don't work man put that down it don't work <laughs> i said all right barry here's my question if it don't work why are they doing it every single at-bat when you come up? And he said, that's their problem. Just write this down. It don't work. <laughs> okay. So it, it, I, I think he was thinking maybe that if the other team read this, it would not catch on. Here's my takeaway. That didn't work. Because <laughs> yeah. they're still doing it. Yeah. More than ever. And they keep going. And I mean, and Bonds, I mean, once again, you take it a little with a grain of salt because he, this guy could will himself into anything because uh, he was just that good. I, I just remember having meetings. We always have meetings to go over hitters. And we were, he came to Philly with the Giants and we went over him. And of course, there was nothing to say to how to get this guy out. So I said, we'll try to tie him up, up and in. That was our best bet. And the only one that actually <laughs> pitched well against him was Vicente Padilla. For some reason, he... He actually oh did God. pretty well. We have to look that up, though. But um, I remember the whole series, I think it was three games, we we didn't pitch them. We had like six walks. He was like one for two and a single in like, in like three games. But the last game, Telemaco was pitching, got a 3-1 pitch. He decides to finally throw a pitch over the strike zone as a 3-1 slider. And the one swing he took that day, he hit it over the center field fence. So I was like, how how is that possible? <laughs> like, if I don't swing for three days, my swing is all messed up. And we didn't pitch to him the whole series until really try to sneak this one slider in, and the guy hits it off the you know center field uh, backstop. So, you know, the guy was just next level. So, he, uh, his his explanation of what it meant, you have to put a little bit aside because it was so unique and his ability. But um, I, I definitely respected his insight into hitting and how he saw the game. It just was he was in a class by himself, basically. <laughs> Yeah, we talked to Mike Tone a little bit about him last week. Um, hey, um, by the way, on that trivia answer, did you notice something? Barry Bonds and Matt Williams. Who once managed them both? How about Dusty Baker, my friend? How perfect is that on a day like today? Uh, all right, one more thing. Uh, Doug, you got me in trouble last week. Uh -oh. uh, the Athletic uh, Philadelphia Edition asked me to take part in a draft of Phillies players from the last 40 years. So we're talking 1980 on. Uh, the draft uh, The draft room consisted of me and our two great Phillies writers, Matt Gelb and Megan Montemuro. We each drafted a team of Phillies from that time period. Uh, I have to admit, 
I love my team, uh, judging by the reader comments. The people love my team. Just so you know, I had Mike Schmidt and Jimmy Rollins on the left side of my infield. I had Ryan Howard and Juan Samuel on the right side. Nice. I had Bryce Harper and Raul Abanez in the outfield corners. Wow. Carlos Ruiz behind the plate. Uh, I had a pitching staff that included Roy Halladay, Cliff Lee, and Brad Lidge. Ooh, uh, good pretty one. excited about it. And we had Ruben Amaro Jr. review our teams. And guess whose team you like best? Oh. What do you think? Jason That'd Starks. Mine. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always said that Ruben was a great judge of talent, <laughs> by which I mean my general managing talent, obviously. <laughs> but uh, Ruben did rip one of my choices. Oh. Guess which one? Well, you, you you seem to have left out the center field. I heard corner outfielders. Who was who in center? <laughs> yeah. My center fitter was some guy named Glanville. <laughs> and this was this was Ruben's review Uh-oh. of that pick. Uh-oh. He said, where is Aaron Rowand? Glanville <laughs> over Rowand? Doug, your thoughts? Uh- or Gary Maddox, right? Did it go back that far? No, maybe not. Uh, yeah, I could. I, I figured my options at by the time I picked uh, Victorino gone, Dykstra gone, it was it was basically Aaron Rowan, Gary Maddox, and you. All right. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think really Ruben believes I should have picked him. Yes. Yeah. You're right. He did, <laughs> he did play uh, 140 something games in center for the Phillies. Yes, but he did. I, I, I kind of like that pick. What, yeah, what did, I, I love that. What pick. do you think? Yeah, I love that <laughs> pick. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I don't know the criteria. I mean, I know Rowan had a nice career. I, I, uh, I guess if you trim off, you know, my sort of latter part of my career when I started coming off the bench, and but uh, I had a good run in there, especially '99. And so, yeah, I mean, if it's a fantasy type game and you could pick my best season, yeah, <laughs> it, it goes up against a lot of. A lot of center he, fielders. So. Yeah, well, my fellow drafters were making fun of me. Uh, Matt Gelb said, undoubtedly, I wouldn't have been allowed back on this podcast <laughs> if I hadn't drafted you. But this, I, I had a, I had a whole scouting report ready for you. I read it at the virtual draft podium. Uh, Glanville in 1999 was a 325, 204 hit elite defender with superior podcasting skills. <laughs> so did I get that right? Yeah, that I'll take it all. <laughs> I was preparing for my future career. So Yeah, anywhere. Yeah. It was I don't think podcasting had been invented in ninety nine, but whatever. No, no, it was I mean that that year was just I mean, well, keep in mind I was I played winter ball Puerto Rico two two full off seasons. So this was ninety five, ninety six to ninety nine. And that stretch, I think the only time I didn't hit really well 300 was like the September of 98. I mean, I I just rolled through Iowa AAA, 90, you know, I had my 97, you know, other than the little time up in the Cubs, I had a great year in minor leagues and at 97 I hit 300, 90, 98 I had 190 hits almost. So, it, yeah, I was I was locked in. I was I was locked in. Just a lot of it wasn't, you know, full-time big leaguer and then it all came together in 99 and uh, unfortunately my Dad got really sick the next spring training, had a you know stroke and and uh, everything under the sun, cancer diagnosis. So from 2000 to 2002, as I was aging, uh, I also you know just had a lot of stuff going on at home with my dad's illness. So I just I, I knew I just didn't feel like the same player. I remember going to Toronto, hitting in the batting cage in 2000 with my dad being really sick, and Hal McRae was our hitting coach. 
And he could tell I was distracted. He said, what's going on? I, I told him, you know, and, you know, he kind of knew because some of it was public. And he says, well, it's a credit that you're hitting, you know, 264 at this point, considering, you know, you're only half here and half of you is with your dad. So, you know, my career, I would not trade it for the world. My dad was, you know, the greatest person I, you know, man I've ever met. But, uh, you know, it was it was heavy. And uh, I, what would have been, I don't know. But uh, 299 was the moment where everything came together and, and uh, you know, I felt like I had arrived and I also finally had the moment to say I could actually be great at this great level. And, and that's uh, something to hang my hat on. So, so I appreciate that, Jay, and the vote of confidence. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was a good time. And Philly, you know, is always going to be close to my heart. So. Yeah, you would have made the all post-game interview team also, by the way. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, that's going to do it for this edition of Starkville. Uh, let's remind you once again that Starkville is now available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. So be sure to subscribe to Starkville on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much everywhere podcasts are sold. And of course, you can still find us at the Athletic app and the Athletic website. Um, if you'd like to read our sparkling work or the work of any of our other amazing writers, there's no better sports writing going on in the world than you'll find in The Athletic. Uh, we're still offering a 90-day free trial, so check us out for the next three months by going to theathletic.com slash 90 free days. Finally, remember that you too can be part of this podcast. You just need to submit a trivia question. Uh you know, preferably be one that we can get right, but probably our evil mayor, Mayor Cam, will decide, no, 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 we got to pick one that'll they'll get wrong. Uh, we'll get it wrong. Then we'll use your question to inspire a fun topic of conversation. And you can submit that trivia question one of two ways. You can email us at Starkville, that's Starkville with an E on the end, at theathletic.com, or you can send them in via Twitter. If you want to send them to Doug Glanville, you would send them to... To at Doug Glanville, pretty boring, D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. Or you can send them to me at J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. That's Jason with a Y-S-T. Just remember to hashtag the questions, hashtag Starkville QS. That's Starkville with an E on the end, QS. So, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Dusty Baker for his incredible visit. Thanks to the mayor, Cam, for producing. Thanks to you all for listening. We will see you next week on Starkville.